podcast i'm your host charlotte henry and today we're going to be talking about twitter no 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 don't turn off it's okay we're not talking about elon musk at least not directly we're going to be talking about how twitter operates or rather doesn't in the creator economy joining me to discuss this is simon owens he writes a brilliant media substack newsletter and recently wrote on this exact topic welcome simon thanks for having me no really pleased to have you here really thrilled we could have this conversation so let's start at the beginning uh, in your piece, you cited the collapse of Vine, which was that short video app that Twitter did bought and owned, but then kind of let wither. Uh, and as it's and that was kind of its original creator economy failure, wasn't it? Or certainly was the way you de- you described the timeline. So, what exactly happened? Yeah, so Vine was a, a company that uh, Twitter uh, Twitter acquired. Uh, I think it, it acquired it prior to its launch. So by the time it actually did launch, Twitter did own it. It was a video app, kind of like a precursor to TikTok today in the sense that it had very tight restrictions on how long the video could be. Famously, a video could only be six seconds, which sounds, you know, just so infinitesimally small, but it was it, that constraint actually unleashed a ton of creativity. Um, and there was all this amazing, this basically a, gave birth overnight to a new genre of sketch comedy. And there were just like a lot of brilliant creators that started out on that, um, on that platform creators that you would probably know, you know, today, like Logan Paul and Jake Paul are two, two of the most famous creators to come out of it. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was what, that was a platform that Twitter grew from scratch, scratch had had amazing uptick, amazing creativity and then it just basically like a lot of other twitter products it just let the platform die a slow death um partly due to just lack of iteration and updates to the product which you'll see with some when we talk about review and some other things further down the line but also in terms of not helping these creators uh make money the back in i think 2015 or 2016 some of the creators famously approached twitter executives and ask them, can you help us make money? Can you share revenue with us? And Twitter considered it, but from all intents and purposes, basically did nothing. And eventually those those um, the, those Vine stars basically launched channels on YouTube, which at the time was sharing 55% of all the revenue generated from, vi- from their videos. And so those Vine stars, they started out by just basically launching their channels with compilations of their Vines. So it would be like Drew Gooden, for instance, was one of the comedians that moved over to YouTube and he would have like you know, 20 minutes worth of his vines just like going one after another uh, and those would start going viral and then he built up an audience from there and eventually uh, Vine lost a lot of its top creators and shut down in 2016. Yeah, it it was kind of... And and at the time, didn't Twitter try and claim it was kind of integrating the video tools and the video things it had learned from having Vine into Twitter? Am I remembering that right? And then... Because video on Twitter has never really been a thing in the creator sense. People do post uh, videos on Twitter. Look, I'm at this football match and it's a really cool crowd and atmosphere. Here's my clip. I'm at a major incident. Here's my clip of what's happening on the ground. We see that from everything, as I say, from sports to terrible situations like war. But a lot of the video that I see now on Twitter is coming from other platforms. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Twitter video is an undervalued asset within Twitter. I think okay. it's. I think there's like lots. I come across brilliant viral tweets all the time with video. You're correct that a lot of them are kind of downloaded from TikTok and reposted to Twitter. But there are some sketch comedy video creators that uh, that have gotten a lot of traction um, with Twitter video. But unfortunately, you can't really monetize Twitter video directly. So again. In order for them to make money, they have to kind of push their followers onto other platforms like Patreon and YouTube. Yeah, I really want to come on to that point, actually, that Twitter is basically an advertising channel, not a money-making channel, because I think that's really at the heart of what we're talking about. But you you mentioned review before, which is the sub, was meant to be the Substack Challenger, was Substack kind of before Substack was Substack. There was it's a again a service bought and owned by Twitter. It was a newsletter service. Um, and you would think that makes a lot of sense. You know, when I saw review, I was kind of tempted by it, right? You think, I've got an audience on Twitter. They obviously like are interested in things that I type as opposed to a video or a podcast. Um, so maybe integrating a newsletter service with my Twitter service, which is where I'm going to promote it anyway, makes sense. How did that end, Simon? Yeah. So like the great thing about Twitter is it's all, it's an amazing tool. I'll say this today. It's like one of the best, um, you know, one of the best social networks to uh, emerge in the last 15 years, uh, partially because it's just such a real time social network. It's like basically this water cooler for prominent journalists and other content creators to hang out with. The problem, as you say, is that whenever they want to create premium content, they create it elsewhere and then send their audience away from Twitter to there. Review was the first, one of the first opportunities for long-form content writers to uh, basically be able to create content that's native to the platform uh, so that there are some synergies there and they can monetize it directly on the platform. Review and Substack launched around the same time, but Substack got such an early need an early lead that it that review kind of pivoted to being something similar to like a MailChimp in the sense that it charged users based on the size of their email list, whereas Substack was a completely free service and only began to charge users once they started making money. Mm-hmm. But then after the Twitter acquisition of review, Twitter removed all the pay, all the payment requirements completely, made it a completely free service, uh, and then only charged based on a percentage of the subscriptions, 5% versus Substack's 10%. Yeah. So it was perfectly positioned to say to all these Twitter, these prominent Twitter users, these journalists, like, hey, instead of trying to send your audience to a completely different platform with Substack, we can help you grow that audience natively and create synergies between review and Twitter. And this is the bit I don't understand. It was such an obvious tie up. It made complete sense. Yes, Substack existed and was starting to build its name, but Twitter is a much bigger company than Substack. People already had their audiences on Twitch instead of trying to get new ones. I really don't understand how this ended up such a failure. I mean, it's part of it's the same thing that happened with Vine, where they launch, you know, they launch or acquire a great product, but then they don't because Twitter has already always been slow to, to roll out products. And because as as keeping with the the thesis of my piece, they don't really understand the creator economy and what motivates them. They didn't prioritize review, and so you saw like some very er- early updates in which they made it easier for you to advertise your review newsletter, where it was one click from the profile. Mm-hmm. Other than that, there were really no new updates to the platform. Meanwhile, Substack, I'm sure you've re- you've seen this yourself being on the platform, is they're shipping new features on mm-hmm. a sometimes weekly basis. They are 
constantly updating their platform. I'm kind of amazed considering how small their team is, how quickly they're able to ship new products. And Twitter just did nothing of the sort. Yeah. And we I recently mean, look, sorry. Yeah. I think you were going to say the same thing as me that recently, you know, just the other day, Substack has launched a chat feature. They, you know, they were very quick to integrate podcasting. I, we, you know, that there's video and they're working on video stuff within Substack. Mm-hmm. There, there is a lot of uh, product development going on there, which, yeah, and, and in this world, speed is everything. But I, I still find it staggering that there was such a, there was a product in review that had such an obvious, uh, you know, should really have been a success. You know, Vine is one thing, and that was kind of a shame. But review really should have been a win for Twitter. Yeah, totally. Uh, and uh, and you said your piece, it should have been their Substack or Medium. I, uh, your sentence actually, I think, sums it up. You said, "What could have been Twitter's answer to Substack and Medium instead seems like yet another abandoned product." Yeah, and they sort of excused it for a while because I don't know if you saw this, but they were working on a product called like Twitter Write or Twitter Notes. I think it had a couple different names. They were doing some early beta testing. I, I know some people who got access to that. And I think the long-term plan was that they were going to somehow in, roll review into Twitter right. And there would be something that was even more native to Twitter, like long-form writing that could be on Twitter. And then maybe there was going to be integration with, I don't know if you've heard of Super Follows, which is oh, this yes. like the subscription platform. So maybe it would it would allow people to create more long-form content on Twitter itself so that a Super Follows um, subscription would be more more enticing. So who knows if that was really coming down the pipeline, but from what we can gather from Elon Musk's mass layoff, because now Musk is under a tremendous um, tr- pressure to start paying back these loans and paying back the interest that he sees radically reducing costs by having mass layoffs. And supposedly they basically, he basically laid off the entire team that was working on Twitter right. And there's been leaks that he's planning to shut down review. So, yeah. <laughs> so much for all that. Yeah. Uh, we will. Well done. We got to about 10, 11 minutes without mentioning Elon Musk. <laughs> we, we, so I think we did well. Cheers to us. Yeah, yeah. Elephant but, um, uh, and we will have to come back to him. But I just want to go back to the scene that basically the general theme, it was highlighted in your piece. It's been come up in our conversation. As I was reading your piece, this is what I I was thinking. The general theme here is Twitter users are engaged. They create content and are engaging others. I mean, I hate to use that phrase content, but, you know, people are putting stuff, typing, engaging in conversations, giving interesting insights on Twitter's platform for free. Mm -hmm. And therefore are not being able to directly generate money from what they're posting. You know, there's a reason you wrote a paid for newsletter, not just a load of threads on Twitter, right? Because if you had shared your insights on the media as just a thread on Twitter you know you wouldn't be able to make money from it um yeah now people obviously use twitter to drive an audience to other things but there's there's this fundamental gap isn't it that people have never ever been able to make money from the time and they put into twitter the insights they gain provide to others from twitter you said earlier that twitter just doesn't understand the creator economy how is all these years in, has that been able to remain the case? Well, to be fair, I think this is something that's you can see in a lot of these social media platforms that were um, that were founded, you know, ten plus years ago. The, the founded during an era when we thought that the benefits to 
um, users was just creating a platform that they could reach lots and lots of people. And so that that's why you saw so many people adopting things like Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, and Facebook. And to be clear, that is like a huge benefit. And that's why uh, they all these platforms, they created fantastic platforms. And that's why they got their initial user bases but i think like the entire dynamic as the creator economy matures and and content creators are starting to think more and more about trying to to launch careers as creators not just thinking of it as a hobby or some kind of side thing or something to drive traffic to yeah, their existing properties all, there's all sorts of servers aren't there where like kind of teenagers and younger adults when you ask them what they want to be influencer comes up really yeah. high on the list if not the top yeah. So yeah, YouTuber, influencer, content creator. Yeah. Uh, that's that's now basically our the you know I grew up in the '90s. It's our version of you know famous novelist, rock star, <laughs> movie star, uh, famous sports athlete. It's basically the new version of that. So as people start thinking as more as a, more of a career, and as other plat as new platforms are launching, platforms like Substack, Patreon, and then also you know YouTube continues to be on the forefront of the creator economy. Me, um, it's just becoming a lot less enticing to use a platform simply because it gives you an additional reach. At least with Instagram and TikTok and, fa and Facebook, to a lesser extent, even though they don't do a good job of sharing revenue, um, brands are still eager to sponsor, like do sponsored posts on that. But I've never seen that endemic to Twitter. Like no. you never see Twittered sponsored posts. So Twitter, Twitter users very, aren't very the, rarely. Yeah. There was a time, maybe a few years ago, where brands realize that someone with a big audience if they tweeted about their brand yeah it would be useful but it's not like when you scroll through instagram is it correct yeah and for some reason just just influencer marketing agencies that you know contract um deals with influencers for some reason they just never gravitated gravitated to twitter as a good place for sponsored content so it doesn't seem to have really taken off there okay I guess this is where we do have to discuss properly Elon Musk and the future of Twitter, because that's really what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, can anything be done so that Twitter is properly part of the creator economy? Do and frankly, do Musk and the company he now owns see this as a problem that they care about fixing? Yeah. I mean, the problem for Musk is like he's he has a very short term mindset right now because he just he just got conned into or forced to buy overpay by about 14 billion uh, for a social network that he didn't actually want. And supposedly his interest payments are going to come due to a billion dollars a year, which means he needs to find an extra billion dollars in profit uh, just in order for him to meet those interest payments. So he has like a lot of short-term thinking of how he generates short-term revenue. Now, if he were to take it, my advice and actually make investment in Twitter and, and try to lure the top creators onto the platform, what I here's what I would do. I would put out an announcement that tomorrow I'm launch uh, or what, some date in the future, Twitter is going to start sharing let's say 30% of its revenue with its creators. How will it pay out the revenue? But based on kind of like a Spotify or YouTube shorts uh, payment system where you are rewarded for the amount of engagement that you create. So I don't know how familiar you are with like Spotify's yes. payout. It's based on, there's a giant pool of money, 70 cents of every dollar that that um, Spotify generates. Yeah, if your track gets paid. Yeah, if, if your it, track if... gets paid. 
whatever percentage your tracks are getting paid against that total amount, you get that payout. YouTube Shorts just launched a, yep. a, a very similar thing. So he would create some kind of giant pool and then he would pay out a third of that to creators. But the catch would be, so he's he's trying to, to hype Twitter Blue. I would say in order for you to be eligible for this program, you have to be a Twitter Blue s- subscriber for $10 a month. Um, Interesting. So you can buy into the scheme and then hopefully you make a profit on it. Yes. So that would create huge incentives for people to start signing up for Twitter Blue and then make the other incentive for Twitter Blue so it appeals not not just to creators is that you get an ad-free experience kind of like Spotify within Mm. Twitter. And so as these creators start getting these huge payouts on Twitter, they're going to, what are they going to do? They're going to post screenshots of their payouts on Twitter. And that's going to create feedback loops that will continually start pushing more and more people into Twitter blue, you know, generating millions of new paying subscribers to that. And I think, you know, over time, Twitter blue will basically be handling the bulk of the creator payouts in terms of the the revenue it's generating. Um, And then most of the advertising revenue will just be close to you know, close to profit, pure profit yeah. or whatever. And it will create this feedback loop that will cre- that will incentivize creators to actually be creating their best content on Twitter, not sending people elsewhere. That's my yeah. that's my pitch. Listen, I hope Elon Musk subscribes to your newsletter. He should. <laughs> and I hope he, he listens to my podcast uh, and is going to pick up your advice. But Because this, I think you're right that YouTube shorts, which is the example you cite in, in the piece we're really talking about is, you know, people looked at that and were like, well, you can't do the classic pre-roll and post-roll ads. So what what's the point of me doing this? I might as well do quick videos on TikTok, which has a creator fund, which is, you know, kind of the model you described where you get a cut of whatever's going on. Um, and But not really. The creator fund is just like a static um, amount of money that never changes. It's not based on some yeah, percentage t- of the revenue. So that's why the revenue per user has been going down. Like the payouts per creator have been going down over time. It's not a true revenue share. Yeah, because more people are trying to be creators on TikTok, and so yeah. there's more money because TikTok set like set aside. Ex- I can't remember the number. I think ex- it's one billion. Yeah. Was it as much? Yeah, I wondered if it was a bit higher but yes one billion sounds right that it was they set aside this pool of money that was going to be fed back into creators um but obviously if there's more creators it's you know there's more people to divide that pie between yeah i mean there's actually no particular reason why you know twitter couldn't do that and it could be as you say the kind of model you say based on the people who are subscribing to twitter blue or whatever the the premium service but youtube shorts as a but as I was saying, it's like people get again. We're like, oh, what's the point? There's no, it doesn't really work with pre-roll or post-roll. Never mind mid-roll ads because it's only a minute each video. Yeah. What kind of how are we going to monetize this? What's the point? And Twitter found us. Uh, sorry, YouTube found yeah. a solution. Yep. They of the kind you're talking about, where it's a revenue share. So it sh- it shows it can be done if you care enough about the creator economy and want to be a real part of it. 
Yeah. And that was the excuse that Instagram and TikTok and some of these other platforms, they were like, oh, well, YouTube has it easy because they have these longer videos where you can you can run ads within the videos themselves. And then it's easier to attribute it to the to the um, the actual creator. So that's why when like Instagram and Facebook, when they did launch revenue shares, they only did it for long form video like on Facebook watch, whereas the rest of the creators, you know, were chopped liver, basically. Um, but yeah, YouTube is basically proving through YouTube shorts that there is another model. And of course, Spotify already proved this a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of disingenuous some of these platforms to act like they can't figure out a way to yeah. split revenue with creators. Yeah. I also wonder, I'm just thinking out loud here, because there, of course, is no reason why someone famous or engaging on Twitter couldn't post a almost Instagram style post, a nice photo with 280 words of advertiser marketing copy. There's no reason a brand agency couldn't do that in theory. You, you yeah. said you said already that that's not really what they want to do. And I wonder if part of it, again, thinking out loud, is because Twitter is perceived as a bit more of a toxic, argumentative platform and brands don't really want to be involved in it in that way. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I couldn't really, I can't say that I've spoken to any ad buyers about about that. Certainly now with with Elon taking over, there's been some reports coming out of Madison Avenue to some skittishness from advertisers and worrying about the brand safe environment, but I couldn't speak to, I think, I mean, I think there are a lot of, uh, maybe the blue chip brands, they're thinking along those lines. I think a lot of the smaller brands, they're they're more geared towards like ad- advertising arbitrage versus, um, versus brand safety. And so I think if there really was a, there could be a robust market on Twitter for those kinds of uh, sponsored posts. But for some reason, Twitter's just always been undervalued compared to so many others, mainly because it's like daily active user base has remained small um, compared to most other platforms. And I think a lot of brands incorrectly think mean that it doesn't have a lot of, they conclude that it doesn't have a lot of influence when in fact you could make an argument argument that even though it doesn't have a huge daily user base, it's the most influential social network in the sense that a lot of content that ends up on other platforms originates on Twitter. Yeah. And yeah, the type of people that engage, there's probably a demographic issue as well, like of, you know, we know that TikTok, Instagram are the younger, perhaps more glamorous user base than you and I hacking on Twitter. So yeah, yeah, uh, if you want to listen to more about that kind of the brand safe and the advertising issues on Twitter, uh, Catherine Perloff and I discussed a bit of that in in a recent episode. So I'll link to that in the show notes. But let, let's go back to where we didn't really deal with where it goes next. Say Elon Musk, you know, wrongly doesn't listen to you and doesn't mm-hmm. instigate your brilliant plan. What what might actually happen? Do you think actually what's going to happen is everything's just going to stay the same and we'll all just keep linking to other uh, other posts from Twitter? Or is there going to be a really big move away so will substack chat be where people hang out will people be using discord channels instead of twitter and build communities away from that and twitter will become increasingly irrelevant to people who are creators and it will just be sort of journalists and politicians talking to each other even more than it is now (laughs) 
Yeah, the problem for the Elon Musk haters is that Twitter remains an incredible platform and no other platform has successfully replicated what it does. And that's, you know, real time discussion of events, TV shows, politics, sports. There's just no other platform that even no. comes close to compare comparing to that. Uh, obviously, Mastodon is the new kind of darling that people are trying to push through this way. Yeah, but uh, we'll it's still a lot of time will tell whether that actually is. So to for you know on the near future, I don't know that much is going to change. I think if anything's going to change, it's just Elon's ability to really monetize the site because he he really is just like seems to be stepping on rakes left and right in terms of not reassuring advertisers that uh, it's a brand safe environment. If I had to guess, Twitter will still be fine for at least in the near future. I would guess really that he might just decide I just I'll just take the loss and I'm going to sell it in a fire sale for like ten billion dollars to some kind of like uh, private equity fund or something like that. Um, but in terms of what's going to happen with the users, I can't really. I think there's some early evidence that that there are users who are fleeing the platform. Um, but it hasn't been a mass migration migration as of yet. No, it certainly hasn't. And if nothing else, it's because nothing is as easy to use as Twitter. You know, yeah. I haven't tested out Mastodon. I haven't had a tr- chance to dig into it yet. But all the reports I read on it and, you know, people ironically tweeting about their attempts to set it up, it seems <laughs> a bit more fiddly and complicated than Twitter is. Where yeah. Twitter is one of the, you know, the great advantages of Twitter is that it's just super easy to use and follow people who you're interested in. Yeah, if you have to have an explainer for how to sign up your for your platform that has multiple steps, then you're already losing. <laughs> right. I think that is probably true. But one thing that's not complicated to do is sign up to your newsletter, Simon. Where can people find you there? Yeah, I mean, they could just Google my name, Simon Owens, a newsletter. It'll be most likely be the first result. It's also simonowens.substack.com. Um, and I will be sure to link to both that piece and the, I'll link to your piece that we've been discussing in the show notes so you can sign up to Simon's newsletter via that. This has been a really interesting discussion. I'm really fascinated about where this all goes next. And I'm kind of really pleased that you wrote the piece because we've always sort of in the back of our minds, known that Twitter is a weird part of the creator economy, but it's never really been dealt with and we've never really discussed it in quite that way. So I'm really glad we got to have this discussion. Thank you so much for joining me, Simon. Um, I'm, as I said at the top of the show, I'm Charlotte Henry. Hopefully, if you're listening to the show, you are already subscribed to the edition newsletter, which is at theedition.com. You might even be listening to this podcast there. Um, if you would like to listen to it in your normal podcast app, you can also do that. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, you can find the edition podcast as well. And if you want something a bit more than just a couple of newsletters a week, head over to theedition.net, which is the kind of much more traditional blog type site that I've launched to accompany all of this. So I hope you will all uh, join me in all those places. Simon, thank you once again for joining me and I'll see you all next week. Thank you.